0: Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, Uh, really excited to be Digging deeper into uh, almost a mini series of sorts as we're looking at what it means to be people and especially to be leaders that foster a greater degree of Jesus centeredness among us. And I'm thrilled to have a first time guest with us, uh, a newer friend of mine through uh, a Jesus collective cohort that we'll talk about in in just a moment, uh, a pastor from Oklahoma named Meredith Dancause. Meredith, welcome here.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, I'm excited for everyone to get to know you. We become short friends through this cohort that we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, give us a bit of the background just of your own self, like where you're from and what you're up to for work, your church and all that kind of stuff, so that we can uh, just uh, kind of familiarize ourselves with you and your journey.
1: Yeah. So I am currently in Oklahoma, but that's not where I'm from. I'm originally from New Hampshire, so I'm a New Englander at heart. And for me, my journey has really been one of exploring who Jesus is because I didn't grow up in the church at all. I came to know Jesus in college as a teenager. And New England, New Hampshire, is one of the most de-churched, unchurched areas of the United States. And so I had never even heard of Jesus until I was about 19. I had no idea that Christmas or Easter was about Jesus. Never, ever heard of him. And so for me, my journey has really been about helping people understand who Jesus is, because he radically changed my life. And I remember, like, I came to know Jesus, but then I went to church for the first time and was like, wait, this doesn't match up. And so what we're talking about in church feels kind of lame. And like, no one who knows Jesus would even be here. Uh, But for me, I had experienced how great he was. And so my whole adult career has been around helping churches really grow into helping people find Jesus compelling.
0: Can you believe that there are actually people, I know we've got church members from our own community (laughs) as well as other leaders listening. Can you believe that there are actually people who have no idea that Christmas and Easter has anything to do with Jesus? That's actually a real thing.
1: Totally, totally. It was wild to me. I remember singing Joy to the World the first time after I'd become a Christian, and I was like, I had no idea this song was about Jesus. I've been singing this my whole life. So it was, it was radical for me to realize I just never, ever heard of that. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of people who've never, never heard of who Jesus is or really understood him.
0: Wow. Do you wanna talk about how we met?
1: Yeah, so we're part of this really cool cohort of senior leaders through the Jesus Collective and we're trying to learn from one another and share our wisdom and just be better leaders together.
0: We're connecting, what would you say, once a month or so?
1: Yeah, about that. Right now on
0: Zoom, uh, facilitated through the Jesus Collective, and uh, got people all around, all across North America, Canada, the U.S., and uh, we've probably been at it maybe about six
1: months. About that, yeah, and it's been really, really helpful, really great to hear different people's perspective and what they're experiencing right now as the church is trying to find its footing
0: yeah, it's super been super helpful for me to have local church practitioners sharing their insights and experiences with each other, uh, you know, in a way that, you know, your book or conference or whatever, you really can't provide that real time kind of customized, this is what I'm wrestling with in the meeting I'm about to go into, uh, you know, kind of helpfulness. And so I've I've really appreciated that kind of microcosm of a little kind of leader's village of sorts that we've been able to be a part of. It's been, it's been very cool.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, Want to get into your local church history. Right now, you co-pastor a church in Oklahoma with your husband. Is that correct?
1: Well, I'm the lead pastor. Yeah, he's the executive pastor. And so we're, we're working together on that. It's been a lot of fun
0: even better. You don't co- you don't co-pastor it. You pastor it and you call your husband <laughs> around. That's even better. I
1: sure do. It Tell works us, best that way.
0: <laughs> I I believe it. Tell us the story of how that was founded.
1: Yeah, so we're part of the Well Church and uh that it used to be known as Edmund Christian Church and it was part of it's about 40 years old and it was part of the independent Christian movement, which is a very interesting movement because it's not a denomination. It's not really anything other than a group of people, group of churches that said, we want to hold these things as important, which is, you know, teaching the Bible, taking communion, and focusing on discipleship. But they, you know, don't pay dues to one another. There's no, like, thing that you sign. So that's where it started from. But really, we're we're a pretty independent, local, non-denominational church.
0: And and when did, is this, the uh your church called the well or is it a, a a division of the well as a larger entity
1: no yeah our church is called the well yeah now and so we're our own independent little how church long have
0: you been how long have you been operating
1: uh the church has been there for about 40 years i've been here as a lead pastor for about a year and a half
0: a year and a half okay so you yeah. guys have been leading this for about a year and a half and and what brought you into that had you been involved in church work before i believe so
1: yeah, so I've worked all around the the states. You know, I pastored in a church outside of Manhattan, um, at a large church um, in Grand Rapids, at a church in Pennsylvania. So we, I've been all around different roles. You know, associate pastor, teaching pastor, lead pastor in different uh, contexts. But coming here, we had just uh, left a church in Nevada, and we and that happened during the pandemic. So we were like shoot, you know, our church is even hiring now. And we were, uh, we were without employment for about nine months, which was really tough and trying to figure out, are we going to stay in ministry? Are we going to do something else after all this time? And then this position opened and I had worked with the creative arts pastor at a previous church. And so when we got the opportunity to work together again, we were both really excited. And that's how we ended up in Oklahoma, a state that we'd never been to or never even thought of moving to. Uh, but but it's been really really a fun place to work because it kind of is. They call it the belt buckle of the Bible Belt because we're kind of right in the middle of everything, and so it's it's really culturally an interesting place to work here.
0: Okay, that's a cool story. And and can <laughs> you just talk a little bit more about your specific re- leadership role and even this dynamic of lead pastor versus executive pastor? How are those yeah. roles kind of split up, and how's that work? both in the office and then around the dinner table.
1: Yeah, it's great. Um, My husband and I have worked in ministry together for a long time. We went to seminary together. uh, But as the lead pastor here, I'm in charge of big vision, of staff development, of leadership development. I'm the primary teacher uh, and then my husband, Steve, as the executive pastor, he really manages the day-to-day. So I'll be like, this needs to happen as a staff. And he makes sure that it, makes sure that it happens because I'm not always the most detail-oriented, and he is. Uh, and then he also makes sure that operations is happening. We just, you know, when we got here, we were uh, spread across two buildings. We had a big gym building and an old church building, and they were both run down, and the kids were in one building, and adults were in the other, and we discerned we needed to pick one building and go with that. And so he oversaw the whole renovation and sale of one building while we were here. So he makes sure that, makes sure that everything runs and I get to have all the fun of like thinking the big thoughts and inspiring people and teaching.
0: It's exactly the way it should be. That's fantastic. Yeah.
1: And so at home it works the same way where he, (laughs) he makes sure that the bills get paid, that trash gets taken out. (laughs) And I make sure that we have fun. So yeah.
0: That's, that's a perfect household. Hey, uh, it sounds like as I've gotten to know you that uh, this, this new initiative that you guys are into together at the well um, is also the product of a bit of an evolving faith in you personally, as well as an understanding of the church and ministry and, and, you know, just what it means to follow Jesus. And so from your perspective, can you describe your own journey of, in our cohort, we call it becoming Jesus-centered. How has that that, uh, kind of grown and evolved for you?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's a little bit different because my experience was always Jesus-centered. I had no church background and really came to know Jesus just through Jesus and missions were Jesus-centered. And so coming into the church, it's almost been a, a reconstruction for me to figure out how did we get here? Which has been really helpful actually with Steve by my side because he did grow up in the church. And so he's been able to explain to me how someone would arrive at a certain position. Like, you know, we're in the middle of God and country land and, you know, or not holding the peace position, things like that, where I'm like, how, how do we get here from here to here? And so a lot of my journey has been trying to understand background that people have been given and the things that they are working through, the the doubts or the concerns or what deconstruction looks like for them and really pointing them to Jesus while honoring what, what their experience in the church has been. So in a lot of ways, I'm very grateful that I don't have a lot of theological or church baggage that I'm carrying around. But again, my journey has been a lot of understanding, okay, where... How do people get here? What have they been taught, and and how do I help meet them there with what I really believe Jesus is saying, rather than where it got kind of messed up along the way?
0: Hmm. That's a that's a terrific perspective. So let's drill it. Yeah, it's been really bit. fun. <laughs> Based on what you're learning, then, um, you know, when we say Jesus centered, what is that compared to? What are what what's the other centerednesses that? People in faith or church constructs can have.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, here especially Oklahoma, uh, the difference between Jesus-centered and Bible-centered has been big. To say, well, we believe in the Bible. You know, we believe the Bible is an authoritative text because of its witness to the person of Jesus, but we we translate that through. Jesus first and foremost. And I think that Bible centered really versus Jesus centered really does lead us down the road of like, you know, faith in party, faith in country, uh, even mixing up the covenants and beginning to think the old covenant is our covenant rather than to the nation of Israel. So that's a big one here is, you know, but it's also really important as we're approaching faith as a Jesus-centered faith to show that the Bible is something that we take seriously. We don't put it to the side and say, well, just Jesus and how we think Jesus is. We say, no, the Bible is the primary witness to that, but they're not equal. We don't read the Bible flat is how we've talked a lot about it. Jesus Mm. is our high ground, and then we allow everything else to be sorted out through that. So if something doesn't match up with with what Jesus says, we go up to the high ground to get clarity.
0: That's great language. I'm wondering in in people that you're pastoring and especially as you talk with your husband about this what what do people at least in your context most have to shed or the word you used was deconstruct in order to embrace that mindset for themselves
1: yeah i think it's you know it's a great question i i think the big thing is or at least one of the things i point out to people is beware if people only use the word god and they don't use the word jesus You know, in that uh, we can get these big impressions of God, but they often are these very, you know, either they're lined up with empire or they're lined up with, you know, militants or violence and coming back to saying, well, we have to look and say Jesus is our clearest picture of who God is. And even when they read scripture, I tell them like when they're reading the gospels, take the word Jesus and, and put the word God in there so that you see like, no, what Jesus says is what God says. And helping people get their mind around any picture of God that doesn't line up with Jesus, isn't a clear picture of God. It's not an accurate picture of God. And that's one of the biggest things that people really have to work through again, because they get the covenants all mixed up and think, well, the old covenant's the same as the new. And you're like, that's one's for us and one is not for us.
0: Yeah. I've talked to people who (laughs) It's 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 been that really that foundational, who said, you know, I'm I'm only starting to make sense of the fact that biblically God and Jesus are the same thing, or literally the same person, part of the three yeah. in one that that they've been so detached and I've had faith in God, quote unquote, meaning the old covenant, old testament you know, associated with violence and harshness and things like that. I've had a faith in that God from my upbringing much more than I've had a faith oriented around the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And especially when I read the scriptures, the scriptures have not been foregrounded or high grounded around the person and the nature and the invitation of Jesus. Jesus has almost been a bit player in the overall, (laughs) you know, kind of character of God. And and so I love in its simplicity, just even the significance of saying kind of from the mouth proceeds that which fills the heart, like, is the language of your faith primarily God or is the language of your faith primarily Jesus centered and Jesus character and Jesus invitation and Jesus recurring? Because there's a difference. There there actually is a difference, isn't there?
1: Yeah, big time. And that's been so healing for so many people when they go, oh, okay. I start with Jesus and I'm like, let let Jesus make sense of God for you. And then go from there. Then we can work through all the other problematic texts, you know, because they are problematic and we do need to deal with them. Uh, but let's not start there. Let's, let's start with what we know is the clearest picture of God. And I had one person one time say like, do you want God to be true and if you do want God to be true, would you want God to look like Jesus? And that question has been great for people because when they realize like, I do want God to look like Jesus, I'm like, well, that's what we're told God does look like. Jesus says, if you wanna know the Father's heart, you look at my heart, we're one in the same. And that has started people on a journey where they can begin to approach the other things that that have been damaging or harmful or you know confusing but they, they're starting from a place that feels safe and stable and loving uh, and challenging, but, but good.
0: Very cool. I, I want to take this now to the next level. And knowing that you're leading this church community that seeks to be Jesus centered, I'm wondering like at a practical level, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to now uh, kind of launch or organize or prioritize or offer ministry that we would say is Jesus-centered?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's every church talks about discipleship, but for us, that's really where we've been landing. You know, even as I do research on the great missional movements in the church, they all started with a great discipleship movement. And so, what we've been talking about as a staff lately is how do we help people have a white hot faith? Because we can't send people out to be missional about something that they're not passionate about, and often people don't feel like they understand their faith, that they own their faith, um, that they that they even know how to ask the questions about it. So we've really been building programming around how do we, especially our adult population because I firmly believe that our next gen ministry, our kids and our youth is our greatest mission field, but the people that are going to be witnessing to them are our adults. So do our adults have enough ongoing programming that really is helping them not just know more about their faith, but love their faith? Because one person says we are not primarily thinking beings. We are primarily loving beings. And so whatever we love the most, that is what we will devote our lives to. That will shape our lives. And so our real goal is how do we help people love Jesus the most? How do we help that be their first and primary love, that white hot faith? Because everything will flow from that.
0: Hmm. I love that. That's terrific. I guess my follow-up question would be, so if if I came to Oklahoma and I was kind of interacting with the well for say a month, what would I notice about your church's ministry, your programs, your style, your language, et cetera, that would sing signal to me the most that, that you're seeking to deliberately be Jesus centered?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of those things would be how we talk about discipleship and, you know, you, you'd hear us say it all the time. We have what we call the discipleship cycle, because one of our big things is, you know, it's it's great to say, go make disciples. And we look at the great commission, but most people are like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm not doing that. And I feel really guilty that I'm not doing that. And so we've tried to simplify that and say, well, let's look at how Jesus made disciples. Cause that's who told us to go make disciples. And he does it really in three steps. The first step is, you know, if you picture a, a cycle, like a circle right at the top would be the word come. And Jesus says, come and see, come and hang out with me, come and spend time with me. Uh, I love how the message puts it like, um, God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And so, you know, we talk about how, like, if we want to be like Jesus to others, we need to be spending time with them. And if we want to grow in our own discipleship, we need to first be spending time with Jesus. And then that second step would be what we call go. And we say that Jesus sends people out into the world, uh, to to help people oh actually i met, i messed it up it's come and then it's see is the second step see and that really is learning from jesus cuz disciple just means learner it doesn't mean expert and that's what we try to hit over and over again with people is you don't have to know everything you don't have to have a deep dive in everything you need to be learning whatever it is that jesus is teaching you right now and anyone can share what they're learning right now and the way that jesus teaches people is like see the kingdom of god is kind of like an ordinary thing. And so we tell people like God shows up in your ordinary life, in your work interactions, in uh, the way you you make snack for your kids. These are ways that Jesus makes us disciples and how we disciple others. And that last step is go where he sends us out to the world to live a little bit differently based on what we've just learned by spending time with Jesus. But then right after that, it's a cycle. We go right back up to come again and we come, come back to spending time with Jesus learning from Jesus, how to be like Jesus in the world. And so that's, that undergirds everything that we do is we really believe that's how we make disciples. And if we can break it down in a way that people can feel like, oh, I can do that. That's not, I don't have to be an expert. I don't have to worry about knowing every answer to every question. It doesn't have to be weird. Uh, and, And that God's not asking me to go like take a college level class to learn how to be a disciple, that it happens in my everyday life and how I'm, paying attention to the Holy spirit and the promptings of Jesus, that's super helpful. And so you'd see that in everything that we do.
0: I love your comment earlier. It said, you know, all I've known is a Jesus centered framework, obviously Mm -hmm. for, for especially leaders listening, it feels like seeking to lead a Jesus centered church is a no brainer. Obviously every church would want to be Jesus centered. I, I guess, for, especially for the church leaders listening, why isn't every church aspiring to or effective in being Jesus-centered in this kind of way? And what makes it, maybe from your experience, what makes it hard for yeah. a church to be Jesus-centered? What gets in the way of that?
1: Well, I know from my own personal experience, and then also, you know, I have some friends that are in churches that are well-established, and they are trying to make it Jesus-centered one of the challenges for them is, you know, you're managing loss then. Cause unfortunately, while Jesus is for everyone, you know, not everyone likes Jesus and uh, it's uncomfortable. You know, I, I say all the time, you know, following Jesus is not complicated, but it is challenging. And I think a lot of people don't, don't actually want to be challenged. And so to shift a church dynamic to being Jesus centered it, it means you choose who you lose, and that that can be really hard because that that means you might be losing finances, which means you might be lo- losing staff positions. You might be losing people that you really love as part of your community, but they don't share that vision. And I think the the other big hurdle for that for becoming more Jesus centered is you know compromise. And unfortunately, I've learned in the the hard way in other other church contexts, which is why I've been really really uh, careful about it in this one is it's so easy to make these little compromises to say, oh, you don't have to quite do the same thing that fits into our vision or you can do something, you can do that weird Bible study over there by yourself and that's all right. we don't want to touch that or make you upset and I find that each time you compromise from that core vision it makes it much harder to bring everyone along because you keep having these like offshoots that then you're trying to manage and manage expectations and disappointment and so I think those are two big things is, you know, the we, we desire to compromise because we don't want to make people unhappy. You know, we're, we're pastors, you know, we care about people. And also, you know, to recognize that's not what everybody's looking for in their church and to know that you will probably lose people if you're already an established community and that hasn't been at the center.
0: Hmm. What kind of, let me press into that because those are two yeah. very, very <laughs> profound comments. What kind of people does an aspiring Jesus-centered church lose? Because it's Mm -hmm. very obviously discouraging when you lose people to other churches. And I know as a church leader, when that happens around here, you can feel like you're losing when in reality, there are times when steps towards Jesus-centeredness that result in losing people from a kingdom or from a Jesus perspective is actually a gain. So so, what kind of people do you lose when you're when you're becoming more Jesus-centered?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I go back to John chapter 6 all the time because, you know, Jesus starts talking about like the tough stuff now. Like, well, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. And people are like, peace out. You know, those are his disciples. And then he turns to the 12 and they're, he's like, are you going to go? And Peter's like, well, where are we going to go? You have the word of life. You know, like what else are we going to do? And I think the people that are excited about momentum or what's going on in a church, but they feel like it doesn't ask anything of them. You know, that's those once, once you start getting Jesus centered, I mean, Jesus asks a lot of us. I mean, he asks our time, our money, our stuff, our friendships, like how, like who we invite into our home. I mean, he, he challenges everything. I tell people Jesus is a terrible house guest. You know, that, that verse where he says like, here, I stand at the door and knock, you know, let me in and we'll dine together. I'm like, it starts with them in your dining room, but then he's like, Hey, let's look under your bed. Let's get into your closets. Like, let's, let's pull all this stuff out. You know and I'm like? Jesus is a pest. If you let him in your life, he'll mess you up. And so I think people who want to stay in control or want faith to be something that's just kind of ornamental and they can come in and out of it. I don't think they'll love a Jesus centered church because we really are trying to press into, you know, Jesus wants your whole life. He wants everything, your, your full devotion. He asked for nothing less. And so that's really, really challenging. And I don't think that everybody is looking for that.
0: Yeah. I find it's interesting. You're referring to John six, I would say around here, one of our kind of default go-to passages is in Philippians two. That refers to the kind of mindset or the kind of posture a person person should have in the way of Jesus or in the likeness of Jesus that refers to this Jesus who, even though he was in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took the very form of a servant along those lines. And just the idea of a faith that increasingly seeks to relinquish privilege for those of less privilege yep. and, and seeks to leverage your power for the powerless is so countercultural even in christian settings most christian settings i find are more about adding blessing to your already existing privilege not in an overtly like health and wealth kind of a way but in a much more kind of subtle almost insidious way like my life my engagement here is supposed to be better and yeah. all of a sudden, when you're confronted with the harsher challenges of fuller devotion, discipleship, especially around the relinquishing of privilege, especially around the embracing of diversity, the friendship with the marginalized, enemy love, you know, things like this. And, and like you, you talk about the tough stuff. Well, that that's when, I liked your term, that's when the peace out uh, kind of attitude can can emerge, and so it's interesting for leaders listening, and even for our own church members to try to discern. You know what are we actually being invited into? Because a, a Jesus centered invitation is not the easiest thing to respond to, is it?
1: No, nope. It's I like I tell people all the time: don't hang out with Jesus; he'll mess you up. If you want to be in charge, don't hang out with Jesus. You know he's. He's demanding, uh, mm-hmm. but he'll, he, I said, he, he'll mess it, he messes everything up, but for the better, you know, and I really believe that. But it's, it's hard for people to relinquish that control, uh, to relinquish even the direction sometimes of their lives, to say, mm-hmm. well, to follow Jesus sometimes means you make a decision that nobody else understands and nobody else appreciates or even supports. That's really hard.
0: I'm wondering, uh, in this journey of Jesus centeredness, not only personally, but as a church community, are there any kind of high level mistakes that you've made that, that others would potentially make that, that we could avoid based on your experiences? Like, what do you have to make sure you do or make sure that you don't do when you're aspiring to, to Jesus centeredness? i love the comment about compromise scribbled that down to me is very significant. (laughs) Anything else that you'd add to that?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, and it's kind of one of those things to not forget, maybe it's a mistake to not make is not assume that people know the why, you know, or people understand the basics. Like we just finished uh, a series called practice and we talked about 10 essential practices For the Christian life. And I'm sure you understand, Jeff, as a preacher, like it's not the most exciting preaching series when you're like, let's do a series on how to read the Bible. Let's do a a sermon on how to read the Bible or how to pray or what communion is or baptism. Uh, You know, because those are, I'm like, I'm talking about the basics. But man, people were ecstatic about it because I think we can get so far down the road of being Jesus centered leaders and we're thinking deep theological thoughts or we're like doing this great exegesis and you know we're building systems and structures and we forget that a lot of people need the 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 basic undergirding of where what why does baptism point me to Jesus you know when i'm praying What's actually happening there? You know, what? how do I hold on to Jesus in the midst of suffering? And so I think coming back to the basics and keep coming back to them. And the, the other big thing that I've I've really come to believe and really work at with our staff and with you know, our leaders is to remind them that Jesus doesn't tell us what to think. He teaches us how to think. And so how do we keep handing that back to people? That It's that white hot faith. How do we help people own their faith? And not assume that they already that they already have the answers, or and not make it a place where they're afraid to ask the basic question, or afraid to come back to the beginning and wonder about that. That they feel like, oh no, no, we this is all so shored up, and we we already we all believe this, you know. And rather giving it still a place to explore, what does that mean to be Jesus centered? And I am kind of struggling even at the very first step of it and so that to me is one that we keep coming back to and that i keep learning over and over again oh even people who have been doing this for a while they sometimes forget these basics and without that foundation everything else just it's really easy to to stop hitting the ground with it
0: that's that's terrific very helpful and I've also scribbled down the, the the white hot faith that that's really at the end of the day what this is all about and what you're trying to move towards. That was that was super helpful. Uh, Meredith, as we wrap up, any final encouragements or challenges either to our church's members or to other leaders listening when it comes to personally and as a church community pursuing a, a greater degree of Jesus-centeredness?
1: I, I, I guess the biggest thing that I would want all of us to remember is that I mean, Jesus is awesome. He's so compelling. He is so wonderful, so challenging. But, you know, I always tell people, if Jesus looks too much like you, you know, if, if he likes all the things you like and likes all the people you like, go read the Gospel of Luke. You know, like, that'll challenge you real fast. Uh, but I, I just want us to not lose sight of, like, when we really grab hold of Jesus, we I mean, have people love Jesus. They love him. And if we love him with all of our heart and everything that we have, I think people can't help but be drawn to that. People were drawn to Jesus. And so if we stay focused on him, I believe the church will grow in a healthy way, maybe not in these huge dynamic ways that we've been, trying to grow churches, but really, I believe we will add to our our number daily in a way that is sustainable and wonderful. And so that's, that's my, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to encourage us to do that. I'll encourage you all to do that. Like, just remember, Jesus is compelling.
0: Fantastic. I so appreciate that. Meredith, uh, thanks for being here. I uh... Yeah,
1: thank you for having me.
0: I'm thrilled for this as our first conversation. I really hope it isn't our last, but uh, yeah, I yeah, really appreciate you joining in and uh, as well, really appreciate you as part of this Jesus Collective cohort. It's fun to, to, to do this together with you. Absolutely. And now uh, to all of you who've been tracking with us today, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again in seven days as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.